0: Well, friends, uh, as we walk through these three weeks, uh, I, I wonder, first of all, have you ever used a word in conversation that after you said it, you're like, I, I wonder if I really know what that word means, right? Uh, so this came out actually this weekend. My family and I, we were talking about something, and, and one of us, I forget who, used the word poignant in a phrase, and somebody said, what does poignant mean? And, and somebody looked at me, and I went, well, it means um, uh, the, you know, um, the... That, uh, that, yeah. And I just couldn't give it a definition, right? I had a sense, like, it's something that feels weighty, but, but then we're like, hey, let's ask the orb of all knowledge, Alexa, right, the uh, echo. And so uh, we asked for the definition, and this is what she spouted out. It's, it's a moment uh, that evokes a keen sense of sadness or regret. Which, honestly, I never thought about the, the negative part of that, right? The sadness or regret. So that was fascinating. Then I began to feel 100 years old as we talked to our teenagers about two other words. I didn't know what they meant. Cap and bet. Um, if you don't know what those words mean, go ask a teenager and feel 100 years old. It's quite exciting. Um, so anyway, the reason I say that is because as I was looking ahead to um, this time where we're going to be talking about things like justice and and social justice, I I sat there and I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk about that. And and as I began to think about it, I went, huh, I I wonder if I can define, like poignant, exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the term justice or social justice. Uh, And so the reason I I, I wrestle with that is because for the last two years, uh, it feels like there's just these Different perspectives of what justice is in about a million different circumstances. Uh, Let me just read you a few things that come across the pastor's desk over the course of this last year as it pertains to some of the areas of wrestling and why I go, "Huh? do I really understand what I mean and do we understand what we mean when we throw around terms like justice? Alright? Here, here's some of these things. I'm just saying them. These are reports. Okay? There's not, I'm not reading into them. I'm not, uh, qualifying them in any way, shape, or form. But, but here's some phrases, right? These are gonna be some of the more familiar to you. And, and so, ready? Black lives matter. All lives matter. Unborn lives matter. Blue lives matter. Talking about police officers. Asian lives matter. So on and so forth. You know, at various points in times, this represented pain points in many of our lives. And, and honestly, uh, I heard from many of you say, no, this is justice. No, this is justice. You had responses from that like critical race theory. I did a two-minute blurb in a sermon on critical race theory, and I had more conversations after that week. Conversations like, no, this is justice. No, 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 this is unjust, the way that it's being taught, right? In this room, you're sitting here next to each other, right? Here's another one. How about considering justice and how the group behaves? One story. One story. Uh, of a conservative Christian high school student, not at a Christian high school, uh, who basically uh, was asked by a group of people how they felt about a certain person's lifestyle, and they, they shared maybe in a, in a moment of lack of emotional intelligence and how they actually said it out loud, but, but immediately uh, the words, you're canceled, came out of the person's mouth in the group, and, and he was dismissed and went to another group where he was basically uh, berated in a similar way. Now, I know there's some of you who are sitting here going, yeah, that's just the woke mob, but let me just turn the corner a little bit, right? Uh, Turn the corner, and on the other side of the ball, right, people who uh, would claim to be Christian conservatives on the political end will quickly just throw down the term Marxist to do their own form of canceling of another point of view they disagree with, or libs or dems, or for my wonderful Christian friends who are like, I don't slander the president, but I love the phrase, let's go Brandon, right? Um, you might not even know what that is. You don't need to Google it. But, but you know, it's just interesting to me um, what version of mob justice there is actually justice. And we just slow down and think about it? How about this? We've talked about things like the immigrant already this morning. So what does justice look like there? You know, what if somebody isn't a legal refugee? What if they're illegal? We love and serve many of those folks through our Grow Ministry. Is it just? Is it good? Is it right to do that? But what about those who are putting uh, just a, a uns- unsustainable pressure on our systems? That's unjust as well. How about in the Christian world, the most one of uh, probably top 3 most popular podcasts this year was about a pastor in the Northwest, who built this church empire of about 50,000 folks. And then it came to to light that he was abusing power. And that ministry basically disintegrated. There was carnage everywhere in the wake of it. And Christianity Today grabbed it and made it a 15 or so hour podcast, where basically it was just 15 hours of, here is all the horror that came out of this man and his ministry. And so my question is, I even listened to it, right? But my question was, is this good that I'm listening to this? I mean, it does give voice to the victims, yeah. So maybe there's justice there. In some ways, it does act as a cautionary tale so that people like myself don't float in that direction. And at the same time, I sat there in a very uneasy way going, I haven't heard this man's voice once. Now, admittedly, he declined to be on it, but I'm not sure I would put my hand up to say, hey, would you like to come and talk about a podcast that's all against you and we're going to have about 100 people who say you are bad and terrible? Not sure I put my hand up for that job, right? Where's justice there, right? And and I'm not saying good or bad or indifferent in a lot of these areas, but, but I guess my question is, even for myself, is is if the people in this room, many of whom claim to be a follower of Christ, many of whom have stood up here and said and taken a vow to say I am putting myself underneath the authority of God's word. How's this a sort of visual for you, right? <laughs> You've said, I'm putting myself under the authority of God's word. Yet at the end of the day, I have a totally different perspective of justice in this one circumstance. And in some cases, I'm not even willing to come to church and worship with you or have a meal with you. Or if we start talking about that sense of worship, then I'm done. I'm out. I struggle with that, friends. So it's lead me to conclude this. Either we, and I put myself in this category, as we struggle through it, we, we don't know what justice actually is, or we operate according to our own standards. That, that, that's at least part of my conclusion, and, and and that's honestly where this sermon series, you're kind of entering into my lab for the next three weeks. I'm sorry, this can get a little crazy, so hang on, but but it's me just kind of like unpacking things and getting down to the base and saying, hey, what's the base layer of justice? And then how do we build upon it? It's not going to be exhaustive, but uh, you're kind of entering into my head. It's a little scary. I apologize in advance. But 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 that's just kind of where I want to dig. Lord, um, what do I mean by justice and what do you mean by justice? Um, so if you would, let me just pray uh, as we begin uh, and then we'll dig into this idea a little bit deeper. Well, Lord, um, as we come to this time, uh, admittedly, uh, as I've mentioned some of these pictures, words, phrases, moments, man, some of us got real uncomfortable in our seats. And and I'll admit that uh, over the course of the last year, I've had many of those moments. And and Lord, um, even today, there's just so many questions about what's just, what's right, Lord, from a pandemic to, to what's going on with race in our country and politics. And And Father, we just want to humbly come to you and just ask you to guide us. I ask you to guide us through the power of your word, to to show us what justice means uh, as you would like us to see it. And Father, would you make us a just church, Lord, that operates in our society justly? And so help us get there. And and Lord, I do also pray, my heart is heavy this morning for my friends who are watching, and this moment of the pandemic feels remarkably hopeless to them. Lord, there are some who are vulnerable, who uh, are just sitting there going, Lord, what. What on earth? I I can't even go to worship uh, you uh, corporately right now. Father, I just pray that you will draw near to them. Uh, Lord, I've talked to so many people in the education field, from administration to teachers who are just tired, and these weeks have just lent a different level of exhaustion. Would you minister to them right now and and just give them what they need to walk through these next days? And uh, Lord, I also pray for our healthcare workers. Father, would you give them great wisdom and uh, Lord, would you be with them and protect them and encourage their hearts? Uh, and Father, we do pray for our global leaders. Um, Father, they're, they're admittedly in an impossible uh, moment, uh, Lord, where they feel the burden of life, and they look at a nation where 50% agree with you and 50% want to come and burn your house down. Lord, that is a tough place to be. And so be merciful to them. And uh, yeah, Lord, would you just be with us? Would you uh, govern and protect uh, my words and help me to love the congregation, as I preach today, Uh, Holy Spirit, work in and through your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so so let's just get down to brass tacks and start at the base layer as we talk about justice. Let's take the term social out of it for right now and say, what, what do we mean biblically when we use the term justice? All right, so um, let me, first of all, tell you, it's been, uh, the word justice appears in the Old Testament about 115 times in the English Standard Version of the Bible, but but it's used to translate two different words. The one that's most commonly used is mishpat, which means a judgment, or it's the rule that should guide judges, all right? Now, the other one is a little bit more helpful filling out what that means. It can mean sedek tzidek or sedeka, which means righteousness. So justice is very similar to righteous or right or moral living. Okay. In the New Testament we see something very similar where the term justice represents uh, this idea of a crisis or chrisis, I can't speak in Greek, uh, but it means judgment again similar to the first definition from the Old Testament, but from the New uh, also, but the second one is also righteousness. And so justice is really this picture of right living before the eyes of God for those of us who claim to follow Jesus. All right. So there's basically three things we're going to say about justice and here's the first one. As we read our Bibles, we find that justice is a standard. It's actually a a fixed standard that God unpacks for us. A standard meaning it it, it conforms to an accepted standard of values. Let me unpack that. Probably the most basic layer is this idea of equity. Equity. As we wrestle this through in Scripture, let me give you some of the pictures of this. In Leviticus 19, this is the law that God gives to his people. So you've got to remember where they are. They're coming out of Egypt, right? God has made them a, a large group of people in Egypt through the wilderness. And then he's saying, hey, now you have to live before a holy God in a way that honors me and loves one another. And so this is the law he begins to give them. And this is what justice looks like. Ready? He says, you shall have just balances, just weights, a just, a just ephah, and a just, a just hin." These are uh, forms of measurement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So in part, he's saying, hey, y'all are going to need to start buying stuff from each other. As you do, as you go to the market and you buy things like grain, you're going to put it on a scale, and they're going to put weights to counterbalance it to say, hey, here's how much money you owe. And he's saying, as you do this, you need to use the same forms of weight for each person. So if you see uh, somebody coming up here like, oh, I want to take a little bit more money from that person, you don't use a different sort of weight to get them to pay more. And so it's just part of the ebbs and flows of, of working in society. Leviticus 24 says, you shall have the same rule how you treat others for the sojourner, the immigrant, and for the native, the person who looks, sounds, acts like you, and has the same background. For I am the Lord your God. And so he's saying, yeah, we, can't, we can't differentiate between, um, you know, whether or not they're, they're Jewish, they're, they're, you know, uh, following uh, the Jewish faith, or they sound the same or speak the same languages. You need to treat each other the same with equity. This also bleeds over into law. Deuteronomy 16, talking about how the judges act. It says, "...you shall appoint judges and officers in all of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, that they shall judge the people with right judgment. You shall not pervert judgment, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous." And so this is when it's talking about when you're making ruling, especially in law, we're not to show partiality. And that's really hard to do if you're a human, right? James pulls that up uh, in his book where he says, Hey, uh, as you come to church, you are not to treat someone who comes and sits down, uh, who's dressed all nicely, differently than you will the poor who comes into your midst. Okay? The New Testament has a picture of this as well in Colossians 4. It says, Uh, "'Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven.'" This picture of uh, a bondservant is different than the chattel slavery that you see in the early parts of America, where uh, people were kidnapped and then enslaved. These are people who are in servitude for a whole host of various reasons, often willfully, but it's saying, "'Hey, you are to treat them justly and fairly, with equity, with no shift.'" Okay? Okay? So that's the first one, is this idea of equity. And the term equity, and by the way, let me see if I can read my own writing. The first song that we sang, that's why we sing this line where it says, He, Jesus, comes to break oppression, to set captives free, to take away transgression, and to rule in equity. Our hearts are actually yearning for a day where the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, will come back and rule in a way that, quite frankly, as humans, it's impossible for us to rule apart from his work in and through us. Here's the second thing. The equity comes from this idea of worth, right? So, so why do we treat each other with equity? Well, it's because every single human being is made in the image of God. And with that image comes uh, uh, comes inherent worth, all right? Here's, here's where I'm coming from. Genesis 127, this is the very beginning. This is creation. This is when humankind was created. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is before the moral law was given in the book of Exodus. This is really uh, what underlies the reason why if somebody harms or injures the image of God, there's punishment. You fast forward to uh, Genesis 9 in the, di- in the time of Noah, uh, where basically after the flood, God makes his covenant with them. But he-, he sneaks this fascinating phrase in here where he says, "...whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image." So, the reason that there is retribution against the person who harms another image bearer of God is because they're made in God's image. Now, we kind of instinctively get this. Uh, I was thinking about how uh, maybe this makes some sense in my own life uh, over the course of my uh, time. And and one of the pictures I had was uh, of a baseball card. All right, Uh, you know, if you're. Under the age of 30, you probably don't know what a baseball card is, or you haven't seen very many of them, but we used to have these cards with pictures of baseball players, football players, whatnot, on them, and I used to collect them, right? Now I found out that my whole collection is worth like 10 cents, yay. Glad I collected for so long. But uh, I had this one card that was just so valuable to me. It was called Bo Black and White. All right, so it was about Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson was one of the best uh, dual sport athletes that's lived, at least in my opinion, he played um, He played professional baseball for the Royals, uh, and he was an all-star there. He was also an all-pro uh, in the NFL for the Raiders before he had a catastrophic hip injury. But the card that I loved, I just loved to watch this guy. I'm like, you can play pro sports in two different sports and, and be an all-star in both. It was just amazing to me. So this picture was him. It's a black and white photo. He's not wearing a shirt. He has shoulder pads on and a baseball bat, and he's got his arms draped over, it, and he's just sitting there. It was just the coolest baseball card in the world. So let me ask you this question. It was valuable at the time, right? It was worth a lot more than it is today. <clears throat> and, and why was that card valuable? You know, if I gave you a, a baseball card of myself looking like that, it would be worth nothing. Absolutely zero, right? You would probably throw it away really quickly. But, but because it was Bo Jackson, it was worth so much. I went out, I bought it, I bought this big old bulletproof case to put the thing in, Right. My cousin, he always tried to grab my cars. just like, touch them. I'm like, don't bend the corners. Like, it's a bow black and white. Come on. Right. And, and, and we'd put it in this case and, and we'd protect it. Why? Because it had this inherent value. Because something that was valuable in our culture, it had his image on it. And so, in a way, That's the picture that we have of the law or this standard that God has actually given us uh, where he puts this case of the law around the image of God to protect it because it holds his image and his value. Now, the standard, he's also not left us guessing. He's given us a rule as to what this standard actually is. In Matthew 22, we see Jesus, when he's asked about the law, he says, hey, the two most important commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And what he's doing is he's pointing back to Exodus 20 uh, with the Ten Commandments, the first four laws you can squeeze into. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no other gods before me. Don't make another image. Don't take his name in vain. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then the last six commandments is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And so just think of this briefly. Honor your father and mother. Do you know what that is? That's, that's protecting the dignity of, of authority that he has given to authority structures within, um, uh, humanity. Thou shalt not murder. It's a protection of life, and it's not just against murder. Ethicists unpack this, and honestly, God himself unpacks this in books like Deuteronomy, where he says, hey, it's not just going out and killing someone, but it's also uh, building a pr- layer of protection on the parapet of your house, right? They used to have these kind of rooftop decks, right? Uh, maybe that's as close as we're going to get in our culture. But, but he's telling them, hey, put a rail up to protect human life, so they don't go falling off. It's not a random, arbitrary word, but it's an unpacking of what it looks like to not murder. You have, thou shalt not commit adultery. And do you know what that essentially means? It's a preservation from sexual exploitation and and its integrity of of sexual relationships. Thou shalt not steal. It's honoring the image of God by saying, hey, uh, don't steal another image bearer's stuff, right? There are certain rights there. Thou shalt not lie. Do you know what that does? It's there to protect the image of God from damaging lies and slander and defamation of character. Which, oh, by the way, we run by pretty quickly now in our culture. Thou shalt not covet. It's protecting the image of God from insidious greed and envy. And so that's the first idea, is is justice is a standard. But here's the second one, and this is just as important, is that justice is derivative. Justice is derivative. Derivative means something that is based on another source. Friends, every single one of our senses of justice, whatever it is, right? Maybe it's based in God and maybe it's not, but but it comes from something else. And what Scripture holds before us is, is the God of the universe, the Creator God, is that derivative source that justice comes from. He is a picture of perfect justice, Right? And we must study him and know him in order to understand how we are to live out a just life before others. The New Bible Dictionary says this, Life's highest standard is derived from the character of God. Justice from the time of Moses onward comes to distinguish that which is God's will and those activities which result from it. All right, so let me show you a picture of how the Bible talks about God being the ultimate uh, just uh, or the ultimate form of justice. And, and Sam said it a little bit earlier, right? Um, justice, if we think about our legal system, flows from a just judge, right? And, and so biblically, when we say God is just, we're saying he is the ultimate form of justice that all other judge, flow, uh, all forms of justice flow from. So it's kind of like a fountain, right? A fountainhead. Here's some of the pictures. Deuteronomy 32. The rock, his word is perfect. Not Dwayne Johnson. That's talking about the God of the universe. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. Keep going. Psalm 146. God executes justice for the oppressed who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow And the fatherless by the way, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Is there one more? Yeah. And then you move forward to the New Testament, and it talks about uh, God in in the form of Jesus, right? Here in Revelation 15, it says, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, the Lamb being Jesus, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations." Let me say this. I know, right, We, those of us who started the Bible reading plan uh, January 1st, good for you, you're going to read through that Bible in the year. I think you're going to do it this year. But I just got to warn you, mid-February to about the end of March is tough because you get to Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, right? And what is that? It's the law. Now, the cool thing about God's Word is He, he reveals Himself to us in different ways. Narratives, right? Uh, you have letters from Paul. But He also gives us legal documents. And they're hard. But I promise you, if you spend time studying God's law, studying Leviticus, do you know what we see? We see the character of the lawgiver. Every single law that is given to his people reflects some aspect of his character. And I know you're still having a hard time being like, really, can I read Leviticus and, and worship? Well, I will just tell you this. When we lived in St. Louis, one of my professors, a guy named Jay Sklar, who now has a commentary on Leviticus, Jay Sklar, Leviticus, write it down, but, but he used to bring 150 businessmen and women from around St. Louis at 6 o'clock in the morning to the seminary campus to teach on Leviticus for a year, and they just left worshiping. I don't think I could ever pull it off, but man, that brother, he knew how to teach it in a way that just brought us straight to Jesus. And so if you need a reading partner as you work through that really rough month of your Bible reading plan, Jay Sklar... It's wonderful to study these things. When we preached through Deuteronomy a while ago, that that was just good for my soul to sit in law and say, look at the heart of the lawgiver." But here's my question for us. Have you actually stopped to consider as you cry for justice what standard you're using? What's your standard? And what are you deriving your idea of justice from? How is it formed in you? Does it start with God? Or does it start elsewhere? I think there's two things that challenge us when it pertains to kind of creating a warped sense of justice, the very thing that's causing division in the church. And for people who say, yeah, I submit to God's word and I submit to Jesus, but I won't talk to that brother or sister in Christ anymore. I think there's kind of two things at play. One is our point of reference and two is our formation. Let me give you this idea of a point of reference and unpack for you a little bit about why it's so important to understand where our source of justice is coming from. Uh, Rebecca, Rebecca McLaughlin wrote a book called Secular Creed. If you don't have it, it's a little book. It's about the, the issues of justice that uh, is pushed to the forefront in our day. She does a great job engaging with those things in a way that is empathetic uh, and really uh, engaging well with those who are suffering, but also in a way that's biblical. I think it's good for teens, especially juniors and seniors uh, in high school and college students, but even beyond. But but she says this with the importance of our point of reference being the God of the universe. She said, if there is no God who created us in his image, then human equality is a myth. Let me read that again. If there is no God who created us in his image, then human equality is actually a myth. Now, she quotes uh, atheist Yuval Noah Harari, who has written a very popular book uh, in cultures outside of the church called Sapiens. Uh, he actually says this, homo sapiens have no natural rights just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. That's his outworking of of atheistic evolution. McLaughlin goes on to say, In fact, if we look to evolution as our only origin story and try to squeeze our ethics from its scientific husk, we have at best the idea that one should sacrifice only for members of one's genetic group. The idea of loving those whose origins lie in a different continent is dead in the primeval waters. I think if you work that out, that is our end point. That is what must, we must conclude if there is no God. Now, she goes on to say this. None of these points suggest that secular people don't believe in love across racial differences. She's talking about race in this instance. She said many do, but they do so on the basis of unanchored faith clinging, whether they realize it or not, to a raft of Christian beliefs. She finally says, in a world without God, I may hate race-based slavery in the same way that I hate olives, right? Tim Keller would say it differently. He said, in a world without God, where there may be moral feelings without God, it doesn't appear that there can be moral obligation. Friends, we could live in a society that deems justice as something totally different and land in a totally different place. We could, uh, yeah, we could live in a community of cannibals and say, well, that's just, Right? we're kind of untethered if we don't believe in a derivative justice that comes from a creator God here's the second thing that I think is is troublesome as we engage in justice is it's our formation you know my my friends here who may not believe in God may say Anthony, have you paid attention to Christians like have you listened to yourselves for the last couple of years you know if you sit back they're not shocked anymore, my non-Christian friends who see another pastor fall because they've abused power or because they've had another affair. Uh, They're not shocked anymore where they hear angry Christians raising their fists and yelling down someone who thinks differently than they do. Even in our own denomination, I think there is a little bit of heart check that needs to happen. You know, the PCA comes out of primarily a, a southern Presbyterian denomination. The largest evangelical denomination in the nation right now is the Southern Baptist Convention. Do you know why there is Southern Baptists and Southern Presbyterians? And this is oversimplifying a touch but not much. It's because we wanted to keep our slaves during the time of the revolutionary war. If that doesn't create a little bit of heartburn in us, if that doesn't make us pause to go, maybe we're living out of being formed from whatever that is, then I think we just have our heads in the sand. We need to do business with our own hearts. I don't know exactly why that is I could give kind of the, well, it's because we're sinners. Well, that's true, right? We're never going to get this thing right. However, I do think part of Christians' failure to see where we have been unjust, or at least in our response to injustice, have created injustice with other folks, is because we're ignoring our formation. We're actually forming our sense of justice from something other than the God of the universe. You know, studies will show we spend about 10 hours or so a week looking at these other formational avenues that I'm getting ready to show you. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. And I'm going to show you, hey, these are the things that are actually forming us probably 10 times more than God and His Word. You ready? Boom. I left TikTok off. That was an oversight on my part. TikTok should be up there, right? But friends, that's where we spend most of our days. We barely even spend it at work anymore. It's largely social media and news. And these aren't just the only culprits. They're just the biggest and the loudest. But let me just ask you a question. Why do these corporations exist? Is it to create neighbor love? It is, right? They want to create neighbor love, don't they? No. What do they really want to create? A profit. Every one of these organizations are for-profit businesses. Now, are there people working in the organizations, even at the tippy-top, who do want to promote neighbor love? Yes. And I don't want to demonize these organizations because I think we spend plenty of time doing that in our culture. But as it pertains to our formation, we need to be awake to the fact that they have algorithms that are set up to boomerang us back to their site as quickly as possible. They want to trigger our amygdala and say, get back there. Get back there. And they push us further and further in our trenches. They they will fire people who don't write according to their philosophy of writing. Not because of love of neighbor. Right? I mean, if we're honest. And so, friends, if we're going, going to these organizations to form our sense of justice, is like going to the producers of The Bachelorette for dating tips. Like, it's a, it's a generally bad idea. They just want us to keep watching. Not push us into thinking, what does it look like to love my neighbor? So, Have you stopped and thought, what or who is forming your picture of justice? You know, if we go, well, no, it's my political party. Well, guess guess what the commodity is in the political world? It's power, not money. Now, can I just stop and say, at the end of three weeks... You and I are probably not going to go, oh, well, then I've landed the plane on which one of these areas of social justice is right and exactly the way I should move forward with this. I think there's a reason why God says in James chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, come to me and I give generously to all without finding fault. At the end of the day, the Lord is going to leave us in a position where we are dependent on him. There are times where he's just going to ask us to go out and act justly, even if we haven't figured it out. Part of the problem in Reformed thinking, folks, is we overthink it, right? Without actually moving towards loving another person. But are we giving any thought whatsoever as to what's forming justice? Now, I'm going to bring back the term social into this, but I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it this week. But, but if neighbor love is really part of the picture of what it looks like to honor God, then justice is always social. It's always social. It involves society. It involves other people. It is not a dirty word. In fact, Isaiah one seventeen says, Seek justice. It's a command on the life of the follower of Christ. Here's some pictures of it. Zechariah 7. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you des- devise evil against another in your heart. Psalm 68.5. God himself is the father of the fatherless. The protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Even Jesus in his first sermon, right? Have you ever read Jesus' first sermon? Here's what he basically says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, that's, that's our Savior. You know, when we think of these categories of, of the widow and the orphan and the sojourner. Do you know what these folks are? Now, one person calls them the quartet of the vulnerable. Now, these are the people with no social power. They lived at a subsistence level, right? Meal to meal. And they really had no influence over society. They were completely and utterly dependent on others. I don't know what exactly the categories of the quartet of the vulnerable could be in our culture. Well, I do know some. I'll give you some. There's the refugee, there's the migrant worker, there's the homeless, there's the many single parents and elderly people. Uh, There's folks, really, it comes down to this picture of a power differential. Oftentimes, it's the people who are um, underserved by having any voice or power in a form of system. And so that can happen in our homes, That can happen when we're accused and all of a sudden the world turns on us without any form of trial. And so the categories of of who is the vulnerable is endless. As we consider these things, I just wanted to take today to have us wrestle. What is our standard of justice? What are we deriving it from? And, And then as we begin to look at this picture of, okay, what does social justice look like? How then shall we move out? And maybe I just... Let that hang today. Go home and ask the Lord, Lord, what is my standard? Is it you? And what are you putting right in my neighborhood that you want me to move towards? So maybe we end with that. And and what we're going to do is we're actually going to transition to the Lord's table. And, And you know what? The Lord's table today should offend us greatly. You know why? Because as we put the bread to our lips, as we put the juice in our mouth, Do you know what we're saying? We're agreeing with God with what he says in Romans 3, where he says, there are none that are righteous. There are none who are perfect in their justice. In fact, Romans 3 goes on to say, we don't even look for the one who is truly just, apart from him working in our hearts. That's how unjust every single one of us are. Every single one of us is similar uh, to uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, where maybe in our pursuit of justice or another good cause, guess what happens? We walk past the person who has fallen on the road. I think every single one of us could identify with the disciples in the picture of the bleeding woman. He's hustling to do something, to heal Jairus' daughter, and the bleeding woman who suffered for 12 years touches his garment. And he stops and he goes, who touched me? And the disciples are like, we are busy, Jesus. Let's keep going he said, no, I need to talk to her. I need to heal her. <laughs> Some of us would probably be right there with the Pharisees when the prostitute came and anoints Jesus' feet with oil. And they're like, send her away. Why is she wasting all the expensive oil? He's like, no, no, no. Or maybe, we're like the people standing around watching Jesus engage with the oppressor, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Why is he going over there to talk to Zacchaeus? No, 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 don't talk to Zacchaeus. He is the oppressor. He is bad. He is terrible. You're going to eat with them? Wow. You see, here's why we have these pictures of Jesus. It's because we were so unjust and unrighteous. He had to come and suffer injustice and die. So that what Paul says is true in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Because the only righteousness you and I have, if we have it, we've placed our faith in Christ, comes from Him. At the end of the day, we are by nature unjust, broken, separated from the God of the universe. But the good news is as we taste and see that the Lord is good, we taste his mercy and his righteousness and his grace poured out for us, wretched sinners. As we come to the table today, I want to invite anyone who has said, I believe that God is the righteous judge, that I fall well short of his idea of righteousness, but he died to pay that penalty and to give me his righteousness. And the only way I can earn it is through his blood and through faith. If you have not placed your faith in that Jesus, I would encourage you to not take of this meal today, but to consider the fact that Jesus died for you, and today he is inviting you to place your faith in him. And so let me invite you now to, to just take a moment and consider in your heart uh, these truths. If you have not yet picked up a packet for communion, go ahead and grab them. They're right out the door on that table. Then I'll close us in prayer, and then we'll have a song, and we'll take of the elements together. Oh, righteous God, you would have been totally just to leave us in our rebellion against you. But Lord, in your lavish grace and mercy, you came and faced injustice yourself to pay the debt of that injustice and to give us your perfect record. Lord, would you grip our hearts with that picture this morning as we come to the table? And I ask that you would set these elements apart for your glory and our encouragement. I pray these things in your name. Amen.